Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, National Director of Churches of Welcome at World Relief. And today we're talking with Dr. Jamal Williams and Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. Jamal serves as lead pastor of Sojourn Mid, uh, Church Midtown in Louisville, Kentucky, and as president of the Harbor Network. He regularly consults with churches on leadership issues related to building healthy multi-ethnic churches. Timothy Paul Jones, or TPJ, teaches apologetics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and serves as preaching pastor at Sojourn Church Midtown. He's also co-authored more than a dozen books, including Finding God in a Galaxy Far, Far Away and Christian History Made Easy. Jamal and TBJ's new book is In Church As It Is In Heaven, Cultivating a Multi-Ethnic Kingdom Culture. Now let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Well, it's so great to talk to you gentlemen and kind of press in on some of these questions and some of these issues as well. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see that uh, that how much people are really unsure how to talk about some of these issues. And, and you are not, you know, you're, you're not holding back on some of the important conversations that are here. That's one of the things I like about the book. And I want to talk some about it. But, but I guess the question even at the beginning is, is, you know, in the last few years, we've seen people, many times evangelical Christians, now uh, a little less certain of how to have a conversation. Should we, should we pursue multi-ethnic uh, church? Should we pursue diversity in our churches? And and yet, if we say that, you, simultaneously, we find that people maybe get mad at us in a way that they didn't just a couple of years ago. So you actually go through, and the book has, uh, for those who, who haven't yet got the book, I want to encourage you to pick it up. But the book goes through uh, and talks about some of the issues of l- lament. And so I guess I would just start with, and I'll throw yeah. it first to, to you, Jamal, is is I mean, where are we in the conversation <laughs> of yeah. multi-ethnic kingdom culture? And mm. uh, maybe just kind of establishing the current reality. I don't think we were mm. where we were two years ago, and certainly mm-hmm. in some ways different than where we were 20 years ago. Where are we in this moment? Hey, that's a great question. And thanks for having us on. Uh, excited to be here and just to chop it up with y'all. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot has happened in our culture in the last uh, four years that has uh, that can be discouraging. And this conversation about the multi-ethnic church where it seemed like it was just really hitting a popularity just before 2016 and people still were trying to figure it out. 2020 comes uh last few years and, and people seem to be discouraged and people seem to be angry. Our culture has just become more polarized and rightfully so. So the question that you asked is, should uh, we pursue just uh, the multi-ethnic church and multi-ethnic churches? And the answer, I think, is it's complicated. Uh, some churches should and some churches shouldn't. But overall, every church should pursue what we call a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. And so no matter the times, uh, no matter what's happening in culture, we believe that every culture can do that. And what we mean by multi-ethnic kingdom culture is simply this. A multi-ethnic kingdom culture is a a gospel uh, community that or community that's rooted in their gospel identity in such a way that it simultaneously uh, transcends and appreciates their ethnic identity. 
Um, so they're able to celebrate what is good, true and beautiful out of every ethnic identity and not only celebrate it, but they can actually help each other to bear one another's burdens. It's so what we're talking about, it transcends and appreciates. And to put it in the simplest term, we're saying, hey, you do not have to check your ethnicity at the door to be a part of this church because we have created a culture that is hospitable a culture where people are doing their own work, going on their own journey to understand their own ethnicity and able to dissect between what is cultural and what is biblical um, mm -hmm. and let go of preferences more um, as they pursue this vision. So we think that any church, whether it's rural or homogenous, if they want to go on, this, if they go on the journey and do the work, uh, can be a, a culture in which they are accepting people of different ethnicities. But not every church should do this because every church isn't willing to do the work. Um, and every church uh, isn't in a area where it can pursue multi-ethnicity. Yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited about pressing in on on how we should. We're going to talk about that. Um, I, I tweeted recently that uh, I, I forget where I was, but it was some wonderful multicultural church, and I said, "Man, if you don't love a multicultural church, you're really going to hate heaven." Which you know, would something I would have tweeted five years ago, and people would have said, "Amen, man! Everyone should love a multicultural church. If they don't go to one, you should love a multicultural church." But it turned into like hundreds, and then thousands, and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of 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 you know people. I, I guess the views got into the millions of just people saying, "No, we shouldn't care about that. We shouldn't." We and you know, quoting Martin Luther King Jr. that you know, talking about being colorblind, not judged by the color of our skin, the content of our character, and more. So your and TPJ, I want to go to you because you you're sort of uh, by the way, it's a little strange to call you TPJ, but I'm I'm going to do it because it's it's how people refer to you. But TPJ, so uh, you know, should we should we celebrate multicultural and multi ethnic churches um, when, let's say, you know, you're living in rural Montana, or maybe you're in a traditional historic African American church or community? Should we? Because I mean, Jamal said all churches can do some of this, and it's really important that you get the book and see how they frame it in the book. But so, so I mean, because when clearly some of the people who responded to me were just, well, I, I don't live in a multi-ethnic place, so I'm, I'm offended that you'd say that. Um, other people were, I mean, there were just racists who responded, just, just blatant racism. Because once it picks up and you get to hundreds of thousands of millions of views, uh, you know, and some people affirmed, lots of people, it got reshared a lot as well. So do we celebrate multi-ethnic, multicultural churches and why? Give us some reasons if so. Well, I don't think we should celebrate them just for the multi-ethnicity. And I think okay. that's a, an important thing to, to a point to make is that there is a tendency among some people to support or to promote and to celebrate multi-ethnicity for its own sake. And so it's important that we aren't doing it for its own sake. But what is important is that every congregation can move toward a more multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, multi-generational direction. They can and they should. And we should celebrate that, but not just for the multi part. We celebrate it because we want to recognize and to celebrate the diverse beauty of God's design and God's plan. And so what I want to lean into is rather than the diversity itself, I want to always lean into where scripture leans in. And that is to 
say, let's say Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, there's this amazing, a little word that's used there of the multifaceted or multicolored aspect of, of God's kingdom. There's a lot of different ways that word polypokelos is used. And it's a, a, to do with like embroidery threads that are woven together in different ways. It's this beautiful word that Paul uses, but he uses it to describe how the Jews and the Gentiles together reflect the multifaceted wisdom of God. Well, that's a beautiful thing. We're not celebrating the diversity for its own sake. We're celebrating because of what it points to in God's plan. And I think toward the end of Revelation, when we think of what uh, it says there, we often do and often should emphasize Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, where it talks about how uh, every tribe, tongue, and nation and all that. That's good. We should celebrate that. But sometimes what we forget is where John takes that trajectory in Revelation toward the end where he says the glory and the on the glory and the honor of all ethnicities being brought into the kingdom at the end being brought into the city. Oh, such a beautiful thing. What he's saying is what is true, beautiful, and good about every ethnicity, every culture, that is brought into the heavenly city at the end. So again, we're celebrating it, not for its own sake, but for how it points to the glorious plan of God. That's how we ought to be thinking about it. And that sets us free from saying, oh my goodness, I need to have a church in which at least 20% of the people are of a different ethnicity or something like that. It sets us free from that and sets us free so that we can ask ourselves the better questions, which is, who is in my neighborhood that is not in my church? And what are the barriers that are keeping them from being here? That's the right question to ask. And we can ask that question when we are, res we are exulting in the glory of God and the multifaceted plan of God instead of looking at multi-ethnicity or diversity itself as its own goal. Hmm. Yeah, Jamal, let me come to you. You know, you're, As lead pastor of uh, a church, uh, and specifically in, there in Louisville, and you, you all have had a lot of uh, cultural uh, uh so, events that have happened yeah. um with Brianna Taylor and oh. and other events that have happened um church you, you guys read that church leaders and members want diversity yeah uh but then when it comes to reality um there's a gap between what they want and the actions towards it what what do you mean by that and uh, and talk a little bit around that yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So we hear uh, in research shows that uh, about 86 percent of pastors, when asked the question, do they uh, want a multi-ethnic church and do they think that is good, uh, would say yes. Um, but then when you look at the reality of multi-ethnic churches in America, um, you're around probably 20, 25 percent. And that's increased since like 2015. Uh, but the reality, even though they say yes, their habits and uh, our uh, gatherings uh, show that people aren't doing the work to, for it to actually happen. Right. And so uh, one of the things that we're really trying to focus on is how do we get to going off Revelation 21 uh, to help churches to become churches where any person can bring their glory, their honor from their culture into a church and it contributes to the church rather than they assimilate into that church and into that culture. And I think since 2020 and some of the cultural things that we see, especially black and brown people, um, we saw this kind of uh, mass exodus out of majority white churches that were pursuing a multi-ethnic church. 
because some white churches were maybe celebrating that they had black and brown people there, but black and brown people realized, um, hey, we're more assimilating. We're not contributing. We're giving up a lot and we don't see it happening the other way. And so our hope is to help speak into the multi-ethnic church and and, and pastors who may want uh, multi-ethnic churches by helping them to see, hey, it's not just celebrating and appreciating that they're there. It's actually expecting them to help shape the culture because it's like uh, the church is like a, a orchestra, right? You have all these different uh, instruments being played in, in, in different ways. Um, and it's more beautiful when they all come together with their unique sounds uh, to contribute to the whole. And if we're just saying this main culture is the one that's kind of setting the agenda and everyone is expecting to assimilate to it, um, you know, black and brown people don't want to be a part of that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, the New York Times article, The Black Exodus, we'll put that in the show That's notes. Right. That would get a lot of uh, attention. And I talked to the reporter. Um, you know, it was it, it was really, I mean, it really reflected a conversation that people were having. So, okay, so everybody brings their culture and their culture is valued. So let me add, you're, of course, you're, Jamal, you're African-American. I'm Anglo. Yep. Daniel's obviously Asian. TP, TPJ is Anglo. So what does that mean uh, for now? Because I, I, let me let me set this up at the beginning by saying that I recognize that majority and prevailing culture is shaped by people who uh, who look and stink and you know and, and are engaged like me. I get that. So, but one of the questions would be then, okay, so if I'm going to engage this and I'm Anglo, majority of our listeners will be Anglo. What does that mean for me? Do I bring my culture to that? Is my culture already present in that? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, in white churches and uh, uh, you know white culture. Uh, typically, when it comes up against any other culture in America, because of our history, um, it just tends to dominate. But white people have culture and it's not cult white culture, it's white cultures. It's not black culture, it's black cultures. Everyone right. is bringing a, a culture. Yeah. Um, and typically white cultures tend to swallow up and dominate, especially in our context, uh, black and brown cultures, if they are the majority. So. So, so how then do I, Timothy, I want you to, uh, Timothy Paul Jones, I want you to answer this as well, but back to you, Jamal, and then just jump right in, TPJ. Okay. So then knowing that that culture tends to, to, to dominate, I get that. It's a little bit part of how I preface yep. the question. How then do I show up with my culture into that kind of setting as well? First to Jamal and then to TPJ. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one with humility. If it's, we're talking about a multi-ethnic church, but the church is majority white, right? Um, and that was my story. So I come to Sojourn right. in 2016 from a historic African-American church, a little green <laughs> behind the ears uh, to this this white church. We're all excited about multi-ethnic church. It's a great year to come to a church as a black man uh, in America at that time. And, um, you know, and my goal was to help our church, which was in a predominantly black area, to just to be able to be friendly to the uh, neighboring area. And so part of doing that is to help White people see you do have a culture and that a lot of what you're bringing to the table is uh, and that we're baptizing to say this is the Christian way is actually preferences. Right. And so building a multi-ethnic church, you want to help people to see that we all have preferences and we all have been shaped by informed by our culture in various ways. Um, and then all of us will need to lay down those preferences in order to um, to reach our community. And if a community is majority black and brown, um, then we need to learn from that community and do everything we can to make adjustments so that people can have a church in their neighborhood that they can go to. 
And so the process of me coming to Sojourn was trying to help them to see what is hindering people from coming to the church. And that just doesn't start with the worship. It starts with the the name. It starts with the building. Um, it starts with the pictures that's on the wall when they walk through. It starts with who is welcoming them, them in the gate um, and then helping them to be able to see, hey, uh, let's identify these cultural barriers and be willing to lay those down for the sake of the gospel. I would say also just building on that, one of the biggest challenges, and this was huge in 2016, 2017, 2018, I think that we face it a little bit less now, but in terms of pastoral conversations I remember having is for persons who are part of white cultures to even know that they have a culture. That is just, that is a huge barrier because many people that are even well-intended people. They just don't even know they have a culture. Yeah. They just assume that the way I feel about things is the neutral default. And they don't recognize it's culturally shaped. It's ethnically shaped. It is class shaped. There's all sorts of things that you're assuming are just the neutral default. But in fact, it's it's a culture. It's, it's based in all of that. So one of the huge challenges in a majority white context is helping people to recognize I have a cultural background of some sort. And so just just as an encouragement to people, that's one of the things you're going to have to face. And it, it comes out to me to think about it uh, as a as a as somebody who is a part of white cultures in the United States, you can go about your life and never have to engage with other ethnicities much of the time and certainly never have to put yourself under the leadership of any other ethnicity that shapes things that shapes things in very significant ways. So a lot of the early work in this direction is simply helping people to see and to appreciate and to recognize I have a culture. I have an ethnicity. I have a background that is shaping what I assume about the world and for them to, to recognize that. And the thing is, is that what we're talking about a multi-ethnic kingdom culture is once people can recognize it, they can appreciate it. They can laugh about it. They can also see the brokenness and the beauty, both of it, but they got to know it's there before they can do any of those things. Yeah. I'd like to hear from the both of you in terms of just what you're experiencing and then also what you're trying to create there at Sojourn. Can you talk about spaces at Sojourn where you've created places where people can empathize with one another? Yeah. Uh, and especially when you get to present more of yourself without having to feel afraid I'm doing too much or showing yeah. too much of my culture. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, um, where are the places where people are, they can be challenged and even maybe sometimes called out uh, mm-hmm. and called up uh, in the midst of that challenge. I'd love to hear you know, maybe from you, TBJ, and then over to Jamal as to how you're seeing those spaces emerge at Sojourn. I do think one of the things that is, there's many, many different layers of this, but one of the, the areas that you're going to see is a primary place both to challenge and to celebrate at the same time as in worship. Uh, that's going to be one of the main, uh, just just the main things, the main context for that in which you can gently call people to a more multi-ethnic perspective, but also you can also use that space to affirm the good that they're already expecting and bringing. So worship is just really huge. One of the thing I would add that I think is important to recognize in, in the things you're talking about is that many of the times people 
don't recognize that the reason they feel uncomfortable about a certain way that people are being led is because the leader doesn't look like themselves. And uh, and I think that's one of the things we have to just own and recognize. And people will often come up with all sorts of other reasons why they're not feeling comfortable with the leadership in this situation. But you have to recognize sometimes it's like, do you notice that that also all these things you're saying have to do with a leader who just doesn't look like you? And could it be that one of the reasons you're feeling this way is you've never been led by somebody of a different ethnicity or cultural background from yourself? And so those are some of the ways to push this gently, lovingly, recognizing that the vast majority of these people really do love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, but, but to press them in some of these areas. Yeah, I think early on, it was really important for me to uh, start from the inside out. So we were starting from scratch and creating a space. And we did a sociological study where we had the few black and brown people we were probably one percent at that time, uh, uh, black or brown and 99 percent white. And so I'm like, we want to build something beautiful. So we need to start at the core. And we started at the core by uh getting our black and brown people to share uh, honestly and openly with me and some of their Christian sociologists that soci- sociologists that we brought in, just their experience as sojourn. Um, and then from there, it was showing that to pastors and leaders and intentionally before we preach about race over the pulpit, discipling our staff and our pastors, just defining terms, being very clear on what we're saying and what we're not. Um, and then you, we led to the stage. Uh, now every week, uh, people were being formed by preaching, even though that first year I hardly ever talked about race because they were sitting under a black man preaching. And the illustrations I'm using, the movies, the music I'm talking about, um, they're not used to. And, uh, many people will say, Hey, you're talking about, you're preaching about race. And it's like, um, actually I have not mentioned race, but you're hearing a black man preach for the first time. So it feels that way, right? And so creating that space and then we start with music um, and lamenting things together um, and creating spaces, classroom spaces where people who want to go deeper and learn more can learn about history to history of Louisville, can learn about uh, different ethnicities. Um, And so it's really holistic. I mean, we've done it at every level, but the key is starting with and getting your leaders on board so that black and brown people have a safe place to come and people who've actually done the work so that they're not un- uh, in an unintentional way actually harming people. Black and brown people are coming uh, looking for refuge. Fascinating. Um, you guys probably don't know that um, I remember having a conversation about Sojourn before Sojourn began in my living room with some of the leaders that yes. were there. Yeah. And there were no people of color in that conversation um, yeah. back back then. And so, I mean, so it's been, I mean, the journey, and, and that's why I'm thankful. To, again, the book is in, in church as it is in heaven, cultivating a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. And those last three words really kind of kind of go throughout the book, multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Um, and it's got some great, there's gr- a great story of moving towards a more uh, multi-ethnic kingdom culture expression there. But I, I'm sort of wondering, what are some errors? So I'm looking at on the other side, and mm-hmm. what are some errors that you think churches make when trying to foster multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, congregations. We'll go to go to TPJ first, and then have Jamal weigh in as well. What do you think? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think one of the main things we do is from either the right or the left, we borrow the world's models from it uh, for this. Uh, and I think it's one of the things we one of the things we really speak of specifically in the book of secular anti-racism, secular multiculturalism. They're not helping. <laughs> they're not getting. They're not getting the world any better. But on the other hand, we have also a notion of colorblindness uh, that is borrowed from our culture, and and churches are trying to make those paradigms to, to use those as the means by which they are, are pursuing a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. And none of those are really working. They're not working in the world. They're certainly not going to work in the church. And one of the things we have to recognize in that is that in the Christian tradition, we have a robust and holistic understanding of what it means to be a multi-ethnic community that Christians were pioneering in this long before uh, any of the, the world started to try to catch up in this. Uh, we've got to recognize that it's the Christian tradition that really forges the path on this. And so my one of my encouragements is to draw from that deep, beautiful, rich Christian tradition in doing this. Don't feel like we just have to adapt the world's models. We have precedents for this in the history of Christianity. And I think one of the, the things to do is that we try to grasp on, like I said, either to the right or to the left, the, to draw in the political modalities that are going on around us instead of this kingdom notion that is actually not going to fit neatly into the categories of, of, of politics or of the right and the left. It doesn't fit in those. It's something that is different, that is going to challenge and speak to both of those uh, in a way that uh, is much richer and deeper and better. Yeah, it's good. And also would add uh, tokenism, uh, churches hiring black or brown people and not giving them a authority um, to make decisions. So when we come to Sojourn, it took six months to make the decision. We had every type of conversation and it was clear that, hey, if I'm going to be the lead pastor here, I'm going to be the lead pastor and uh, making sure people understand that. Uh, so you hire a black or brown person and you just want their face and maybe their gifts without them actually being able to change things and creating a safe space for them to be themselves. Right. Um, I think that that's huge. I think also the way we talk about um, ethnic reconciliation, uh, mm -hmm. we can talk about in a way that is hopeless and worldly. Um, and so making sure that we're pastoring our people through it. And uh, making sure that we're doing it in a way where it's not harm swapping. So rooting it in the scripture and being patient with people, pastoring people, not hoarding and beating them towards a thing. And in order to do that, you have to detach your identity from the work itself and to see that it's beautiful. It's important work, but it doesn't define me and it doesn't define our, our people. So it's something that we are going to patiently and prophetically pursue. Uh, putting our foot on the gas as the Holy Spirit leads and then knowing when to let up. Um, another thing is like as leaders, uh, not admitting when we've made a mistake um, and when we have talked about things in a way that was unhelpful. So helping the congregation to understand that we're pressing into a stronghold. There's going to be spiritual warfare um, in this country. This is a stronghold and we're learning how to talk through these things together. So we need to be patient with each other and gracious. Um, we need to teach 
uh, what we believe we need to celebrate when we see it working and we need to not tolerate behavior um, that is uh, racist or hateful or unhelpful. And we need to all be able to repent and to uh, receive each other's repentance um, uh, in, in that way. Jamal, I want to I want to pull on a thread there that you you mentioned uh, tokenism, yep. and um, I think most church leaders would say you know they 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 don't want to practice tokenism and they don't want to uh, uh, give credence to it, um, but then inevitably sometimes they end up doing it, and uh, this is regardless of race. You know, it yeah. could be an Asian person that's practicing tokenism. Um, how do you know when you're actually uh, employing tokenism mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, an intentional process of actually trying to diversify? Yes. Help, help church leaders understand the difference. Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, there's a, a couple things. One, um, you know, you are kind of tokenizing a person even before you hire them. If you're not doing your due diligence and you just see, like, if we get this person, this will make us look better in this way. Uh, but you don't intend to actually give them authority um, and responsibility um, and and actually form your culture and contribute in a healthy way. And so shutting uh, people down, um, you know, kind of almost almost threatening them if they uh, go against the grain and actually offer a different perspective culturally. Um and not creating a space if they are a minority in a space, no matter if it's uh, through race or if it's a, a woman um, in a predominantly male space, um, not creating a a space where they have uh, people who can help help champion what they're trying to bring bring forth. So uh, when I came to Sojourn, the question, I mean, the first thing I said, okay, as the lead pastor, what did the previous pastor do? Oh, he preached. He helped set vision. He spoke it to staffing. He spoke it to, uh, um, you know, all these different things, finances, right? And uh, so I said, hey, as the lead pastor who's black in a 99% white church, I protect, uh, I, you know, I look forward to overseeing the preaching calendar and what we're preaching. Uh, elders will get input just like they gave before. But um, when it comes to staffing, I expect to be a part of those conversations. And for my perspective by the elders to be heavily considered as I'm on on staff. Right. Um, and so I've seen and consulted with a lot of black people who are in majority white spaces who are hired and they don't have those things. And they're kind of told what to do and even kind of said, hey, you should be happy. Look at how we're taking care of you. Uh, we just need you to stay in this area or, or to do this very specific thing, even though we hired you to do more. Right. I think key, the articulation that you hired me to do more and you're not fulfilling what yeah. you said is really key. That's where tokenism kind of yes. can show up and show yeah. its face helpful. Um, okay. So, so talk to me um, a little bit about the costs here. And uh, I mean, the reality is, is that, um, you know, pursuing diversity, is, and I wouldn't say this a four year ago, you know, last four years thing, just in general, pursuing diversity for, um, for our kingdom culture, you know, it has been uh, costly over the years. It's not, it's not well received Absolutely. by all people. It takes them out of their comfort zone and more. So what's that look like for you? And why is the cost worth paying? Let's go to TPJ first and then we'll go to Jamal. Well, why, what's it look like? What's some of the cost and why is it worth paying the cost? So one of the things I would want us to think of first is 
why it's not worth it. Okay. <laughs> and and I think that it's important for us to, to own that and recognize that. I do think that there has been a tendency for those that would have gone into youth ministry in the 80s and 90s and those who go into church, would going to church planning in the early 2000s. Now those people are like, oh, I'm going to do multi-ethnic church. It's the new kind of cool thing to do. And, and, and for a certain type of person that wants to be entrepreneurial, and sometimes they're drawn toward that. And, and my first challenge would be if, if there is anything of this is the cool thing to do, the, the urban thing, you know, that of going to the urban setting and all of that, if that's it, it is not worth the cost. Um, and, and so one of the things I always want to encourage first, before we even think about the cost is what's not worth it. And, and to try to help people to draw out from them a little bit, what is the real reason you want to do this? The other thing I would say uh, in terms of thinking about counting the cost of this is that we need to do the work in ourselves and and deal with the cost in ourselves uh, as well. Recognizing it's going to cost me individually and personally as well. Sometimes we are Everybody else needs to count the cost and everybody else needs to do this, but we haven't done the adequate work in ourselves. And so recognize it's going to to cause you personally to have to own up to your own issues related to race, related to ethnicity, related to culture. You're going to have to own those yourself as well. Don't think you can do this without it happening to you. So those are two ways that I would frame it. I would want us to think about it first. And then as we move from that, we do it then because of and with reference to God's eschatological vision. That's what should be driving this. God is going to do this at the end of time. Therefore, we want to practice it here and now, just as in our sanctification. God will make us perfectly holy at the end of time, but that doesn't mean we say, I'm going to wait till the end of time to grow in holiness. No, because God is going to make me holy at the end of time, I will strive toward holiness now. And that's the cost, and that's why it's worth it. In the same way, in this way, God will and is redeeming a multi-ethnic people for the end of time. Therefore, it is worth the cost to pursue it here and now as well. So those are some of the ways I want to frame that. And I think yeah. Jamal can speak much better into some of the other aspects, but I want to frame it that way, thinking through that and about the specifics as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is costly. And as a black man, specifically, I'm going to talk in a very specific way, a black or brown person going into a majority white space um, and with the hopes of making it multi-ethnic, it's a it's a calling. It's cost me a lot. It's cost me relationships in my uh, community, black community. When I left a historic African-American church after pastor there for eight years, leave pastor two um, was misunderstood. Um, and it cost me on the other end with white uh, brothers. It, it's cost me so much turmoil being an estranged pioneer and um and uh it's it can be confusing so if it's not a calling uh you shouldn't do it because uh multi-ethnic churches have multi-ethnic problems and and um and you're dealing with we by god's grace went from one percent i don't know where we're at now close to maybe 25 30 percent 23 different uh, languages spoken uh different ministries multiple translations in different languages um and uh, but it's been a long process. It's been a hard process. And the Lord's had to do a lot in me. And it's a sustaining power that gets me uh, that keeps me. Now, why is it worth it is because, one, it's biblical. And um, I think that uh, 
this this is close to God's heart. If it can be done in a healthy way, where it's a true multi-ethnic kingdom culture, it can be a blessing to many. Two, America is browning. Uh, 2045, there will not be a, a majority uh, uh, race that is in America and our churches uh, need to press into this. Three, I said it earlier, it's absolutely beautiful. I've learned so much about Jesus from worshiping and getting to know people of different ethnicities and how they worship Jesus and how they read the Bible and see things differently that I would not see. Um, and I think we just see things more clearly. Uh, TPJ said fourth is the, is the way of the, of the early church as well. Um, I wouldn't, I do not regret, uh, Making the move from where I made it and what God is doing, it is absolutely beautiful, but it, it's a calling and it's not for everyone. If you're not willing to do the work and check your presuppositions and your motives and do it from a gospel identity, don't do it. You've been listening to Jamal Williams and Timothy Paul Jones. Be sure to check out their book, In Church As It Is In Heaven, Cultivating a Multi-Ethnic Kingdom Culture. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found a conversation today helpful, I'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that'll help ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.